Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined by Kyle Kelly. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Eric Hansen's enjoying some time off this week, but we have plenty of recruiting news to discuss from the last week. So that's why I asked Kyle, our recruiting reporter, to join me today. In a six-day span, Notre Dame added commitments from 2024 wide receiver Cam Williams, 2023 offensive tackle Charles Jagusa, 2023 cornerback Micah Bell, 2023 wide receiver Rico Flores Jr., and 2023 cornerback Christian Gray. Um, so quite the haul for Notre Dame and lots of reasons to be excited. But Kyle, I wanted to ask you, which of those recruits do you think was the most important recruiting victory for the Irish? Yeah, I think without question, it was uh, Christian Gray. This is a guy that I followed um, back to when I covered Ohio State cornerback and offensive line recruiting uh, a year or two ago. And I, I remember talking to Christian Gray after he camped at Ohio State and he ran like a blazing fast 40 time. I, I don't remember the exact time. He actually, I think he still has it as his uh, pinned tweet on uh, Twitter. Maybe you should change that to his commitment graphic, uh, bring all the other <laughs> Irish guys along. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed with him right off the bat. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me uh, was his uh, uh, spirituality was, is really important to him. And I, I remember thinking uh, when I was covering Ohio State that that may give Notre Dame uh, a little bit of an advantage. And, and talking to Christian before his commitment this week, uh, he said like it played, played a factor, but it, it wasn't a big one. And uh, funny you should mention that because uh, his new pin tweet, which was just updated a day ago, uh, is a graphic that says "Keep God first. So <laughs> you, you nailed it with the spirit spirituality aspect from Christian Gray. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I, I was not uh, incorrect there, but uh, I mean I've I've always been really impressed by him, and you know ever, ever since I started covering him for Notre Dame, I just kind of started realizing how important of a target he was uh, in Notre Dame recruiting and, and really realizing that Notre Dame has really struggled recruiting quarterback cornerbacks, um, you know, in the rivals era, which we talk about is from 2002 on. Uh, I think they've only had like a handful of rivals 250 guys that have ever signed. And uh, the top guy that this signed was in 2006. He was number 51 overall. That matches uh, Christian Gray's uh, current ranking uh, with rivals. So, I mean, he's regarded as a, a number eight corner in the country, super talented. I know you had uh, Clint Cosgrove on last week. He's always raved about uh, Christian. He's a super mature kid. And I, I think we're kind of in agreement here that this was probably Notre Dame's uh, recruitment to lose until Brian Kelly hired his former head coach at uh, DeSmet Jesuit. Robert Steeples um, to coach cornerbacks and just a quick background on him because his name gets thrown out th thrown around so much he he coached Christian I believe I know freshman year for sure but also sophomore year I believe as well as a head coach then he went to the Vikings uh, was an assistant on their staff then uh, Brian Kelly brought him to LSU and I think when that happened uh, LSU offered uh, pretty soon after and they, uh, you know, Christian pretty much told me they emerged as the number one team in his recruitment. Notre Dame was up there as well. And, you know, Christian told me uh, this past week that 
LSU, like, they were the number one team in his recruitment. There was a point where he thought he was going to go there. Uh, he canceled his Notre Dame spring game visit uh, to go see LSU instead. Uh, luckily, working in Notre Dame's favor, he still decided to visit Notre Dame 10 days earlier. Um, and I, I think that maybe looking at that visit, it probably worked out in Notre Dame's favor to have that kind of personal touch where I believe there was no other uh, recruits on campus. I think Notre Dame was coming off of a recruiting weekends, uh, you know, with spring practice where they had some guys, but Christian was basically the only guy on campus uh, from a recruiting aspect. And he said during that visit, he started to get a sense that Notre Dame could be, could be home. And during his official visit, he said it was like pretty much a calling from God that even though that he thought maybe LSU was a spot, he, he, he found that God told him that Notre Dame was where he wanted, wanted him to be. And, you know, his family was thrilled about it. His sister goes to Ohio state. Um, and she was very, very supportive of his decision to choose Notre Dame. But I, I just looking at the guys, um, you know, they landed last week. I, I think that maybe a couple months ago, we might've said Rico Flores with, you know, that competitive top five of UCLA, Texas, um, Ohio State and Georgia, but I think that, I mean, those teams being really good at wide receiver recruiting helped Notre Dame in that, in that sense to bring him to, to campus. I mean, this is my really long-winded answer to, to Christian Gray, but I think he warrants it uh, just because of how big of a recruiting win he is for Notre Dame and the type of addition he's going to become uh, when he signs next December. Yeah, I agree. I think I, Christian was the, the pick I, I would make too. Um, it's the combination of his talent level. Like you mentioned, he's the number eight cornerback and number 51 overall in the 2023 class. Um, Notre Dame doesn't get that many cornerbacks that are that highly ranked. Um, and the fact that they had to beat out that, that competition that, that they were going against, those are, those are top teams that had connections to them when you talk about LSU and Ohio State. Um, and for Notre Dame to be able to pull Christian Gray, um, I, I think was really important. No, I, I'm really in agreement. And when you look at the guys, they, they landed last week. Also, Micah Bell, uh, the speedster from the Kincaid School in Texas, another really impressive pickup, a guy that uh, could almost probably play wide receiver if you wanted. I know he plays uh, running back at his, uh, his high school, and he, he's done tremendous on the offensive side of the ball. And one thing that's really interesting about every time I talk to Micah, he always makes sure to tell me, that Notre Dame is recruiting him to play special teams as well. <laughs> and I've, I haven't asked him yet uh, what uh, position on special teams, but I admit, I'd imagine some sort of returner with that 10-4 speed is just absolutely incredibly impressive. I, I did some research on the Notre Dame track and field team uh, uh, from this past season. I think that Micah's time was like three-tenths of a second faster than any of the uh, – men's track and field guy on Notre Dame's roster. So I think that that tandem is just so impressive with Christian Gray and Micah Bell. And I, I'm curious to see, you know, where they stack up in terms of uh, past Notre Dame cornerback uh, tandems and also with the, the type of corners um, that sign elsewhere in the uh, 23 class. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's a really great comparison in terms of cornerbacks at least since I've been covering uh Notre Dame recruiting uh Notre Dame just doesn't really get 
that high of quality of cornerbacks. I mean, guys that ended up being great but weren't necessarily ranked as high that in the, were in the 2016 class with Julian Love and, and Troy Pride Jr. Um, that was a really good class. And uh, Dante Vaughn was also in that class. So those were three um, good cornerbacks, but we're not to the level that we're talking about, at least as, a, as recruits, um, as Christian Gray and Michael Mike, Micah Bell are. Um, and, and, I mean, that's, those are huge recruiting wins for, for Mike Mickens, who has, I think, our, before this class, has, our, I think, made some pretty promising steps in some of the cornerbacks that he's been able to recruit, especially if you believe all the hype about Jaden Mickey and how, how much of an impact he's uh, already made on the team as, a, as an early enrolled freshman and someone who's going to be pushing for playing time. Um, as a freshman this year, um, but but a lot. I think it's a really good sign for Notre Dame because a lot of the top teams in the country recruit cornerbacks at that level. Um, I, I was looking at some of the, the the top cornerback recruits in the country according to rivals, and Alabama has the number four, number five cornerbacks committed in Jaleel, Jaleel Hurley and Tony Mitchell. Texas A and M has the number six and number seven cornerbacks committed in Javon Thomas and Bravion Rogers. Georgia has the number three and number nine cornerbacks in A.J. Harris and Justin Rett. Oregon has number 10 and number 20 with Caleb Presley and Cole Martin. Um, and so Notre Dame to be able to have Christian Gray at number eight and Micah Bell at number 16 for the cornerback position, that starts to get Notre Dame in the conversation um, of, of recruiting cornerbacks at the level that um, some of the best recruiting schools do and some of the best defenses in college football do. So um, I think this is a really important um, pair of cornerback commitments for Notre Dame that um, I know at least, I mean, Micah Bell seemed to be for a while there, it seemed like it was going to go Notre Dame's way. Christian Gray's recruitment seemed more competitive um, in that it wasn't necessarily as obvious that he ended up as Notre Dame, although he, would, he had been a guy that had visited Notre Dame so many times, but there were obviously reasons that you mentioned that he could have gone elsewhere. So um, for Mike Mickens to be able to get that, um, to get to put a couple of cornerbacks, especially after they lost Justin Rett, because Justin Rett wanted to make some other visits elsewhere, um, and they moved on uh, from that recruitment and were able to recover pretty nicely. So um, props to Mike Mickens in that cornerback uh, effort, and I think that's going to be it um, for what Notre Dame does at the cornerback position in the 2023 class, barring um, a, a change moving forward. Um, we, we've, we've obviously talked a lot about the cornerbacks, uh, I think the wide receivers are pretty impressive as well. Um, I, they're both ranked somewhat similarly in, in their respective classes. Um, Rico Flores Jr. is number 106 overall in the 2023 class, and, and Cam Williams is number 104 overall in the 2024 class. Um, they're pretty similarly sized, um, both listed at 6'2", Williams at 180, and, and Flores at 190. Um, and... Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about, but I'm curious, Kyle, from your perspective, do you, if you had to pick one, who do you like more, Cam Williams or Rico Flores Jr.? Well, I, I think I'm a little a little biased here because I've seen Cam in person twice over the last uh, about a month now, yeah, or no, about month and a half, and I've always been really impressed uh, with him. He's a an exceptional kid. Uh, he, he holds himself very well. He just like, you can tell that th there's a sense about him that you, you know, people just kind of uh, really follow his lead uh, 
to a sense, like when I was at his commitment ceremony, I just could not believe the amount of support um, that he got. uh, I mean, this also, (laughs) to be transparent, was my first commitment ceremony I've ever been to. But uh, (laughs) I just thought it was was really cool to see all his teammates there, and they all took a picture with him afterwards. And, like, there was just, like, this energy around him that that I thought was – super impressive. And, and I tried to kind of articulate that in my story from this commitment ceremony when, I mean, it was literally 30 seconds before he made his decision when there was a commercial break, he took his AirPod out and he, he gave like a quick 15 second speech to everyone in attendance. And I thought that was just very mature of him to do something like that. Um, and I, I was really impressed, uh, the way, the way he holds himself, but I I'm even more impressed of what he brings on the football field. I mean, he, he's only a sophomore and he's a rising junior now, but you know, with his size and and his speed, he looks like someone that, you know, is going to be a senior could even, you know, develop in to, to play at at the college level very soon. And so I, I've really liked what I've um, seen from Cam Williams. I, I, I really enjoyed getting to watch him uh, at the Irish Invasion on June 5th, watch him work with Chancey Stuckey. Uh, it seemed like those two really hit it off, and I, I wasn't really surprised that I found out a couple weeks later that Cam Williams was trending to Notre Dame because I thought that him and uh, Chancey Stuckey just clicked, and that ended up being uh, you know one of the final pieces of the puzzle in his recruitment is that relationship with uh, Chancey Stuckey because uh, Notre Dame didn't offer Cam Williams until early May. And before Notre Dame offered, this was a recruitment led by Dylan McCullough, actually, uh, from a relationship he had with Cam at Indiana. And then I believe Tommy Reese was the one to offer Cam uh, at his high school during a school visit in early May. And, you know, him and uh, Williams and Coach Stuckey kind of connected a little bit late, but that relationship really grew in a short amount of time. But the other reason I, I say Cam Williams for my answer is uh, just thinking about the type of duo that him and CJ Carr can become, you know, there's lots of talks about CJ Carr possibly reclassifying, but both are in the class 2024 class right now. Even if CJ does reclassify uh, Cam's going to step right in and, and compete for a role when he comes to Notre Dame and just watching those two at the Irish invasion uh, learning about how their bond has grown since then just kind of makes me really intrigued to, to see what they, the type of skill set and the chemistry they bring once they, they arrive in South Bend. Yeah. I, I, it was really tough for me to pick one of these guys. I, I think they're, like I said, obviously the rankings are similar. Their, their size isn't that different. Um, and I think, they have a somewhat similar playing style. I, I, I went with Flores, and it might just be because he's a year older where he has some, some, some of the advantages, I think, over Cam Williams that I think he's a little bit more physical and, and makes some contested catches uh, more routinely. Um, I, I, I like the fact that both of them have spent time in their highlight reels uh, showing how well they can block <laughs> as receivers. Um, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I, I think Williams might have – a higher ceiling, but he, he's not there yet as a younger player, which is totally fine. Um, so that does, I mean, I think it's just as possible that Cam Williams is a better career than, than Rico Flores Jr. Um, when it comes time to come to Notre Dame. Um, but, but I, 
I'm going to give the advantage right now to Rico Flores, and and that might the 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 advantages that I think I see in the in his game compared to Williams might might sort of evaporate as uh, Williams matures and, and and continues to grow um, into his frame and, and for, uh, get physically stronger because. Um, I mean, I think they're both pretty good route runners. Um, I really like Rico's work ethic. Um, he's very uh, attention to detail oriented um, from everything I've heard. So um, I, I really think that both of those guys have, have bright futures um, at Notre Dame. Uh, the one guy that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about yet um, is Charles Jagusa. Um, I, I Obviously, he's the, the fifth Notre Dame offensive line commit in the 2023 class, um, likely uh, the last. I don't know that Notre Dame's going to push it to sixth. Um, what, how do you think Charles stacks up against the other offensive linemen that Notre Dame has committed right now? Just looking at it from a uh, rankings aspect, uh, Jagusaw, he is uh, ranked as the number 122 overall player and number 10 offensive tackle in the class. He has a, a 5.9 rating by rivals. Uh, and that measure is an all American candidate. And uh, the, the next closest is Sam Pendleton at uh, 225 overall number 23 offensive tackle. So just from a, a rankings aspect, uh, Jagusaw is kind of the, the premier guy for Harry Heastan in, in a second go around here at Notre Dame. And I, I think this is something we've emphasized a few times, but uh, pretty much the day or the day after um, uh, here, he stands hiring was made official. He made it down to uh, rock Island, uh, Illinois, which, you know, common misconception. Some think that it's like near the Chicago part of Illinois, but um, it's like, I think I, I live in Chicago right now. And I think it's like two and a half, three hours away. It's, closer to Iowa. So, um, you know, uh, Harry, he made an emphasis to go down there and see him immediately. And I think that paid off in the long run and, and the reason why he's in the class. And I, I think that uh, looking at the, the type of player he's going to become at Notre Dame with that size and, and power and all the potential there, he's, he's a really big kid. Uh, and I think that's something that's really impressive uh, about him is the, how great of a wrestler he is. I, I, I know you did a story on him. I think he was 41 and 0. Is that right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's just remarkable. But um, I, another guy that I really liked being able to see him in person just at the uh, uh, blue, blue gold game was Sullivan Apture. I just, I remember he was the very first recruit uh, to walk down the tunnel. I just cannot believe how big he was. And I, I think he, he, he already weighs um, around 270. Uh, I weight fluctuates this time of year uh, with camps and summer and Sullivan's actually a golfer as well. But I, that's one guy I'm really excited about. And I, I think Notre Dame is as well. I, I remember talking to Sullivan and uh, they, during that weekend, um, Sullivan, uh, Monroe Freeling, who was on that visit uh, from the Carolinas and Harry Heesan were all at dinner and they ran into uh, Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director. And, uh, you know, uh, Harry Heesan or Swarbrick said something to Heesan, paraphrasing like, oh, is this the uh, the offensive lineman you were telling me about, uh, referring to Absher? 
Um, so I, you know, I don't know how much stock I put into that, but I think that Notre Dame really likes him. And I think that those two guys are, you're probably looking at your future uh, left and right tackles. And they're, they're really, there's a lot to be excited about between those two. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Jack Sorvik was just uh, quick on his feet and said, well, if this, if this is Harry Heastan, he's obviously here with an offensive lineman. So why don't I say this to make it sound good? I, I'd love to know if you actually knew much about uh, Sullivan Absher. But uh, either way, it, it, it was memorable uh, for Sullivan. So that that, that is a, a smart move by Jack Swarbrick, whether he knew much about him or not. Um, Charles is interesting. I mean, I think he has very a very high, high ceiling. Um but I don't think he's clearly the best offensive lineman in Notre Dame's class as he's sort of been ranked by rivals, as you, as you pointed out, and as he's ranked elsewhere too. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sold. And maybe, I, maybe I, I think some of the other rankings for Elijah Pace or not Elijah Pace, um, Charles Jagusa uh, is a little bit too much. Like he's ranked too high elsewhere. I, I, I actually think the rivals rankings are probably, probably pretty fair to him. Um, but I don't see that there's that wide of a gap between him and, and Elijah Page. I mean, rivals, we have him as the number 36 offensive tackle. That is Page um, compared to Jagusaw being the number 10 offensive tackle. Um, I, I like I like the potential for both of them. I, I want to see Jagusaw uh, be more fluid and, and less of a wrestler as a lineman, if that makes sense. I, I know, like, I think his wrestling is a good feature to him and something that will help him. Um, but I think he can – um, do more with his body position uh, and, and drive better than sort of like gra- like sort of twisting guys down to the ground um, uh, to maybe avoid some potential holding penalties and stuff like that. Um, I, I really like Charles's attitude and work ethic. Uh, he's been someone that's been really fun to to interview. He's not, he doesn't love all, all the social media uh, or being on his phone all the time. <laughs> when I spoke to him before he, uh, made his commitment public. I said, so what's, what's the plan for how you're going to do it? He said, oh, well, I'm just going to send a tweet out and get, go back to working out or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. And that, that was uh, pretty befitting of, of who he is um, a, as a player. So uh, he has great size. So, so I, I mean, I, I see the potential that others see in him. I'm just not, I'm not sold that he's quite there yet, but um, that's, that's fine if you're Notre Dame because that's what you hired Harry Eastan to do was to be able to polish a recruit with the potential of Charles Jagusaw um, and uh, be able to make him become as good as he can possibly be. Uh, last last question I have for us before we move on to the question segment for questions that were submitted from our listeners uh, is who do you think Notre Dame's at 19 commitments now. Uh, there's not a lot of commitments that will, Come, I mean, I, they could get to 25 or 26 potentially. So we're, we're talking seven or six more guys maybe in this class, maximum potentially. Who do you think is Notre Dame's most important remaining target left? Well, uh, I if you were to ask me about a month ago, I would have said Dante Moore. Um, but he's <laughs> going to commit, you know, later today. And I think all indications are that it's going to be Oregon for him. But – uh, just looking at the uh, rivals rankings, I, I think that, you know, it, it's easy to just pick a guy, look at who's Notre Dame's high, most highly ranked uh, target 
and just pick him. But, I mean, kind of lazy effort here. I'm just going to go with Samuel and Pemba. Just thinking about the the tandem that he and Keon Keeley could make on the uh, defensive line uh, at Notre Dame, I, I think that Mpemba was initially uh, – his recruitment began as a rover and uh, – or not – excuse me, not rover. Um, Notre Dame's uh, definition of the hybrid outside linebacker slash strong safety. Yeah, that, that's, that's the rover position. Okay. Yep. So easy to get mixed up when there's a, a rover 15, and a viper. Yes. But and now he is uh, actually being recruited as a viper, I believe. So his recruitment positionally has changed as his body has changed uh, in, in his recruitment. So I, I just think looking at the, the type of attention he's getting on the recruiting circuit, uh, you know, Georgia's heavily interested in Miami, Florida, um, uh, Florida as well. Uh, there's, there's a lot of schools that are really going all in on him. I know Tennessee is as well. And just based off his, uh, ranking, uh, uh, with rivals, you know, he's a top 10 guy. And I think there's, uh, that would just be an absolutely marquee recruiting win for Marcus Freeman his first year as head coach to be able to just bring a guy out of IMG Academy. Who's originally from St. Louis to, to Notre Dame, uh, caliber of that player to be able to fend off you know some of the 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 big guns such as the georgias and uh the floridas and all those other types of programs uh of the world to to win over samuel and pemba i just think would be a a phenomenal recruiting win and and just like the the perfect staple and uh you know to finalize the 23 class yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that, being that he is so good. I mean, Rivals has him as the number one weak side defensive end in the class. He's the only weak side defensive end ranked above Notre Dame defensive end commit Keon Keeley. Um, so to be able to get both of those in the class would be pretty ridiculous, um, and it would be hard to – I mean, that would be a phenomenal uh, pairing for, for Notre Dame, whether or not he plays Rover initially at Notre Dame or ends up uh, playing Viper. I think he could potentially do both. I think um, I think he is sort of opened up to playing multiple positions. He sort of likes that idea. So Notre Dame is going to keep that option open to him um, and uh, hard, hard to blame them for that. He's a very athletic uh, player and, and someone that uh, has some pretty special size and, and, and blends that all nicely. So um, I think in the long run, he eventually ends up being a defensive end. Um, and, and because of that, I just think the, the need for him is, isn't as high. Like, it would be great. Like, it would be phenomenal uh, if Notre Dame were to get him. Um, but Notre Dame has done okay recruiting defensive ends, and I think they will continue to do well recruiting defensive ends. Um, so, so, for me, I think the most important guy is Jaden Greathouse. Um, Notre Dame needs to keep stacking wide receiver commits of his quality, even though uh, they do have two four-star recruits, Enrico Flores Jr. and, and Braylon James. I think getting Jaden Greathouse in the class is important, and Notre Dame has a chance to do that when he announces his commitment later this month. Uh, another guy I thought about was running back Jeremiah Love. Um, he's another highly ranked running back, I believe the third number three running back in the country, according to rivals. Um, and the need isn't as extreme at running back. Notre Dame would like to get a second to go with Jaden Lamar, uh, but he's got some special speed, some special ability. Uh, and so to get him in the class, Notre Dame has just not been able to recruit 
offensive playmakers at a high enough level in, in the past. And so for them to be able to do that um, in this recruiting cycle would be tremendously helpful for Notre Dame, especially because I, I just think defensive recruiting is going to maintain a high level because of Marcus Freeman being the head coach um, and the standard that he demands for the defense, even though he's not the defensive coordinator anymore. So I think that's still going to be there. And for the offense to sort of keep pace with that would be very important moving forward. Um, and uh, so there's, there's still some really talented players out there that Notre Dame's going after. We'll see how many of them they can get to add to the, what is already ranked number one class in, in, for 2023. All right. Now it's time for questions. Our question segment is now powered by Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit acrepro.com or call 765 587 3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Kyle's at by Kyle Kelly. First question we have is from at Mike DeVoy1. Where do you think Jason Moore lands and Jaden Greyhouse? If we miss on these two, who does the staff go after instead? Well, I think that's, you know, for the, the majority of the last uh, few months that the feeling around Notre Dame was that uh, Jason Moore was uh, theirs to lose. And, you know, going into the or following the official visit, uh, Tyler, you reported that it was kind of a 50-50 battle between Penn State and Notre Dame. And now uh, all signs are, are trending toward Ohio State for Jason Moore. Um, I flipped my rival's future cast prediction in favor of the Buckeyes, um, as did uh, national recruit, recruiting analyst uh, Adam Friedman, who has spent a lot of time around Jason Moore. So it looks like it is uh, trending toward uh, him being a Buckeye. So I, I do not expect him in, in the class any longer for Notre Dame. And I think that's, uh, you know, although they're – they do have four defensive linemen committed and some really impressive ones uh, in, in the class. I think that the type of caliber and the player that Moore is, especially as a number one ranked position or number one ranked player at his position in the 23 class, that, that's kind of a, a big loss there. Uh, with Jaden Greathouse, I, I will say that I think coming out of his uh, – just beginning with the blue gold game visit sound like Notre Dame uh, did a really well with him, made a great uh, first impression on his first time on campus. I think that kind of put Notre Dame in position as like that one, one or two type team in his recruitment, right along with Texas. And then uh, all signs were coming out of that official uh, was that uh, Jaden Greathouse, um, you know, is, could be Notre Dame's to lose. And I think it's a really good sign for Notre Dame that he uh, set his commitment date for mid-July because I think that this was a recruitment that the longer it went, the less likely it was going to end up in Notre Dame's favor, especially after the addition of Arch Manning to Texas. 
Uh, Jaden plays his high school ball. I believe it's less than about 10 miles uh, from the University of Texas. So, he, I mean, it's right there in his backyard. So incredible recruiting win for uh, Chancey Stuckey, if he can pull this off to get great outs, not only to commit in mid-July, but also to sign in uh, mid-December. But I, I think that uh, Notre Dame's going to go one for two on those two guys. Uh, and we'll, we'll have a definitive answer here within the uh, next week or so. Yeah, I, great house. I, I think you still have to be a little bit nervous with Texas, even if he is to commit to Notre Dame, uh, just because he's so close. I mean, you can make visits there um, without making much of an effort. Uh, and the, the allure to potentially play with Arch Manning, I think is probably – something that a lot of kids would be interested in. But but Texas also has a number of wide receivers committed. They have three receivers committed to it currently and, and isn't necessarily um, dying for, for more wide receiver commitment. So I think that makes um, them less desperate to keep on Jaden Greathouse if he is to commit to Notre Dame. Um, so things may work out there in the long run for the Irish. And uh, Notre Dame seems to be in good position when he announces his commitment on the 15th. Um, and we'll see if that um, comes to fruition. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that I have anything else to add on Jason Moore. Um, I think he's sort of, you know, I'm not sure that Notre Dame goes after another defensive tackle. Maybe they look at another edge prospect, but I'm not certain that will happen. I think, like I mentioned earlier, with Samuel and Pemba being someone that could be an ed edge rusher, I'm not sure that you want to potentially recruit another edge rusher when you're still in the running for him, when his recruitment can go for quite a while, he's not planning to get back to Notre Dame for an official visit until the Clemson game uh, late late in the season. So because his recruit, he plans to take his recruitment sort of pretty long into the process and close to the early signing period. So um, I think it's worth considering if there's a defensive end you really like um, and you maybe you don't feel that good about Samuel and Pemba, um, but that's uh, probably what, what will happen um, at, along the defensive line. Um, if and when Jason Moore announces a commitment to Ohio State. Next question we have is from Rhino1134 on the Insider Lounge. Even if it isn't publicly known, is Notre Dame actively pursuing quarterbacks not named Dante Moore? It is starting to feel like a big swing and miss again at quarterback recruiting. Well, I, I think it would be naive to say that Notre Dame is not starting to turn the page on 23 recruiting and looking at potential prospects to, to fill the void that Dante Moore is potentially going to leave by committing elsewhere. Uh, I mean, I, I know there, there's a handful of guys uh, still out there, some committed, um, some uncommitted that Notre Dame could potentially look to go after. Uh, you know, I don't think we really have, you know, many names at this, at this rate, uh, being that, this is pretty new. Uh, you know, this is all kind of, I guess, come together, or even perhaps saying, you know, falling apart uh, within the last couple of weeks. So Notre Dame has really had to uh, take a turn in their quarterback recruiting. And, you know, I think Avery Johnson, just looking at, at a guy that maybe Notre Dame, you, you thought that they could turn, turn to a guy that visited campus a couple of times last summer. He just committed to Kansas State. Looks like he's pretty confident in his decision to stay home. I, I mean, there, there are a couple guys out there that, that I'm interested in. I've, you know, mentioned J.J. Cole, uh, the Iowa State commit, 
Uh, he, he had a pretty solid elite 11 from all accounts. Also Chris Parson, uh, he's from Nashville. He has a, a super arm. He's extremely, extremely talented. Um, and there is something weird going on with that recruitment because he's been committed to Florida state for, uh, about a year now. And, you know, Florida state has welcomed other quarterbacks to campus for official visits. And it, I think it's kind of interesting some of the dynamics of quarterback recruiting in this year's class because uh, Miami, they currently have two quarterbacks committed. Um, Alabama has uh, Eli Holstein uh, committed in the class, but they still hosted Arch Manning for an official visit. And now it seems like they're uh, almost trending for Dylan Lonergan. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, Notre Dame is definitely has some names on the radar. It's just, it's going to be really interesting to see, I guess, how things play out. Or whereas we look at, you know, throughout so many examples in the past where Notre Dame has uh, failed on quarterback rec- recruiting and has had to uh, flip guys before. And it's looking like they're going to be in that same position again this year. Yeah. And I, and I know you're working on a story that we'll be publishing uh, at some point on Friday uh, about guys you think that Notre Dame should consider offering in the 2023 class. And we'll see what comes of that. I think Notre Dame, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's right to assume. Um, and I believe that Notre Dame is, is doing work behind the scenes uh, that it doesn't want um, necessarily to be, to be known. I mean, when you're, because because all these quarterbacks are committed somewhere basically now, but most of the guys that, you would want as a quarterback in your class is it's committed somewhere else right now. So that's not something you necessarily want um, being broadcast to the world all the time and, and sort of showing your cards. Um, so I think Notre Dame's keeping that close to the vest. Um, and uh, that will sort of be how things proceed until usually it plays out. Like when it gets closer to a visit happening, then that information starts to become a more apparent when, when you're talking about this late in the cycle with some of you guys committed, it's, it's a bit different when it's early in the cycle and you're offering a bunch of guys and, and Notre Dame put itself in this position by sort of putting all of its eggs in the Dante Moore basket and saying, Hey, you're the quarterback. We want in this class. We're not going after anyone else right now. Um, and he's looking like he's going to be leaving Notre Dame at the altar uh, and, and potentially committing to Oregon um, uh, on Friday um, on sports center. So uh, a tough public, Heart, uh, break it. I break it might be a little bit too strong because it's not like he he, he announced a commitment to Notre Dame, uh, but but more going somewhere other than Oregon isn't necessarily what most of us assume would happen three months ago. So uh, things have certainly um, not gone as Notre Dame had expected, and Notre Dame's in a position where it has to scramble a bit. So I mean, I think obviously if Notre Dame gets no one, that is a horrible, in my opinion, a horrible misstep. Um, in, in the 2023 class, um, you have to keep getting quarterbacks um, and hopefully elite quarterbacks in as many classes as possible. Um, so I, I, I and, and, and at least one in every class, I think just to skip classes, unless unless all your other guys are five star quarterbacks. I don't think you're in a position to do that just because some of these guys are going to end up transferring anyways. And then if you skip the class and then your next five star transfers and you, so then you've gone two classes without a quarterback recruit. So. Um, I, I think uh, you have to keep getting quarterbacks, but I, I'll reserve final judgment on that until we see what ends up playing out for Notre Dame in that 2023 class. 
um, because Notre Dame has been in this position before um, and ended up with recruits that were coveted, like uh, most notably, in my opinion, was, was Brandon Wimbush. Uh, he was someone that was committed to Penn State, and I thought he was a very talented quarterback recruit, um, and and he was. He, he, I mean, I think it, there's no denying that he was. His, his college career didn't pan out to be that way, but he was a very highly recruited guy. Um, and uh, so Notre Dame needs something like that to occur in the 2023 class if um, Dante Moore decides to commit elsewhere, as we expect. Next question is from T Vols 8 on the Insider Lounge, and he has a pair of questions. Why did uh, why let Cedric Irvin go if you don't have a second running back all but guaranteed? The narrative was Young's visit, Young being Richard Young, visit changed things with Irvin, but that turned out to be of no consequence. And number two, what changed with Jason Moore? Let's start with number one. What what do you what are your thoughts on, on how Notre Dame has played or things have played out with Notre Dame at the running back position? Yeah, I think that, you know, the big piece here is that Notre Dame obviously hired a uh, new running backs coach and Dylan McCullough. And with that, he's going to kind of want his own guys. And I think you saw that when, <laughs> by all accounts, the 2022 recruiting class was fully wrapped up, had a bow on it and everything. And then uh, in came uh, Jabron Payne kind of out of nowhere. Uh, who was who signed with Indiana, uh, but was able to get out of his uh, letter of intent. I think he took a visit to Kentucky um, and, you know, also officially visited Notre Dame as well, but ended up being Irish. And that, that was kind of a, a surprise to, to have that sort of late, late addition. But I, I think with, in the case of uh, Cedric Irvin, um, I, I think that, Maybe him and uh, Jaden Lamar are a little bit comparable in, in terms of the, the potential they, they bring to the table. I think Lamar does a lot more in the uh, receiving game. But uh, I think that you kind of had to pick and choose between one caliber of those players. And ultimately, um, you know, McCullough seems to have preferred uh, Lamar. Uh, I mean, obviously both held offers. Uh to Notre Dame, but Cedric Irvin, he committed to uh, a different staff. And although there, there are other players uh, committed on the roster, Cooper Flanagan, Keon Keeley, Brennan Vernon, a couple other guys that committed to the previous staff. But, um, you know, ultimately the, the new coaches that, that come in, those guys are going to have their preference on the types of the players they, they want uh, to come in and sign and compete and play at Notre Dame. And, Lamar was clearly one of those players. And as we've come to find out over the, the coming months that Richard Young was one of those players. And so was uh, Jeremiah Love, who is had an incredible junior season after not even playing as a sophomore due to injury. And I, I think Notre Dame's in a super good spot with him. And I don't think, you know, Notre Dame um, feels confident about the decision to let Cedric Irvin walk if they if they don't feel good about their chances uh, with Jeremiah Love and I think that recruitment's probably gone a, a little bit more competitive than Notre Dame maybe have have guessed being that you know Love is a high academic kid also from the Midwest I think that's why Notre Dame and Michigan looked like the the two early strong suitors for him but then you know he goes to the SEC schools like Alabama and Texas A and M and there's a lot of interest. Uh, and, and playing at those types of programs. 
and, and the opportunities that come with playing at, with those types of programs. So uh, I, I just think that with the Cedric Irvin decommitment, it was probably in the best interest of, of both parties to move separate ways. And, you know, he's already committed to Stanford and Stanford's had a, a lot of excellent running backs throughout the years. So uh, there, there's no reason to think that Cedric Irvin doesn't have the potential to become the, uh, the next great one uh, out West. Yeah, if, if Notre Dame just sort of holds on to Cedric Irvin while trying to replace him um, and then tells him, hey, scram, uh, waiting for Jeremiah Love or Richard Young to commit to Notre Dame, then we get into July, August with Cedric Young still not considering other schools besides Notre Dame and then maybe leaving him in a, in a worse position, whereas the way it's played out, Cedric Irvin was able to continue his recruitment and has now committed to Stanford. Now, that may put Notre Dame in a bit of a bind if it doesn't end up with a second running back. But if, if, it, if it felt that it didn't, that Cedric Irvin didn't fit the needs that Notre Dame had, um, then it was, it was right for it to, for Notre Dame to sort of continue recruiting other running backs um, and, and sort of make it clear to Cedric Irvin um, where it's still with him. Now, I'm sure there's, I'm sure maybe people from Irvin's camp would feel maybe it could have been done a little bit more uh, even sooner or, uh, more fairly in some way, but um, he was recruited by Lance Taylor. Uh, I found it curious. I didn't. I didn't hear of Lance Taylor pushing for him at Louisville. Um, once once Lance Taylor became the offensive co- coordinator at Louisville, um, Louisville did get a pretty highly uh, rated running back in Ruben Owens um, to commit there. Um, but I think um, Notre Dame still has work to do in terms of trying to get that second running back. Jeremiah Love is someone that. Like you mentioned, I think Notre Dame felt pretty good about that and then got competitive. I think there was some worry about, okay, is Michigan a threat here? Um, and Michigan seems to be recruiting him a little bit more on defense than on offense. And I think Jeremiah Love is is interested, more interested in playing running back. Um, and now whether it's Texas A&M or Alabama um, or even Oregon, a number of other schools have been getting in the mix with Jeremiah Love. But he spoke very highly of Dylan McCullough after his official visit in an interview he did with us at Inside Indy Sports. Um, and Notre Dame wants to try to close out that recruitment because that would be um, a pretty talented running back to add to the mix. Um, to T. Vols's second question, what what do you think changed with with Jason Moore? You know, I I think that you know we're not really going to know until you know he makes his decision and things start to to come out afterwards but just just looking at it from Jason Moore's perspective uh Notre Dame already has five guys committed in the class uh Ohio State or excuse me they have four guys committed in the class uh I I almost 99% sure Ohio State does not have that many guys um so there's you know in a sense more of a more value uh to his commitment uh to Ohio State at this rate and Ohio State also has Larry Johnson, who is regarded as one of the best defensive line coaches in all of college football. I guess he's like the Harry He stands of, of defensive line when you <laughs> see the types of prospects uh, he's produced from Ohio State. And although that, you know, there's been some speculation that Johnson is nearing his retirement at Ohio State, I mean, until he officially hangs him up, I mean, he's still going to be there. So I think that looking at from that perspective uh, with Jason Moore, I think that makes the Buckeyes uh, appealing and 
one thing that I, I also found really interesting is because, you know, there's always this notion that Notre Dame, you know, they do well with the Catholic private schools and the relationships they have with them. And Tamantha um, has never sent a, or Notre Dame has never signed a uh, player from Tamantha uh, in the rivals era, which I found pretty surprising being that they're one of the powerhouse schools on, on the East coast. And, you know, Al Washington played at Boston college, uh, you know, although the Notre Dame staff doesn't really have regents per se, uh, I guess like the way they would used to maybe like even a decade ago, I think things have become a little bit more spread out, but um, you know, Al Washington's uh, area recruiting uh, is specialty, I guess, is that East coast and that DMV era area. So if he does end up winding up, if more does end up winding up at Ohio state, that's going to be a big loss for Notre Dame and Washington. And I, I just don't, th- I think it's a little bit too early to tell exactly why he decided to choose the Buckeyes perhaps over some of his other top contenders. Yeah. Ohio state has done a good job with those DMB connections, which Notre Dame has sort of been a bit up and down with and not very consistent with. I mean, there have been good players from that area coming to Notre Dame, not from DeMatha specifically, um, as football players, like, like, like you mentioned, Chase Young um, going to Ohio State, I'm sure has uh, is an is an easy sort of model for Jason Moore to 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 follow. Obviously, um, the thought is Jason Moore is a defensive tackle, and um, Ohio State, as you mentioned, it only has one defensive line recruit currently committed to it, and that's a a, a, a three star defensive tackle, I believe, in Will Smith. Um, and so Jason Moore would be sort of the superstar of that class. Um, and not, not that maybe, I mean, Ohio State surely could get some more big time defensive linemen in its, in its recruiting class. Um, but it's probably, it probably was a little bit more desperate for Jason Moore um, than Notre Dame was. Although I, I think, I mean, he would be Notre Dame's best defensive tackle commit um, ahead, ahead of Devin Houston um, by a pretty good margin, in my opinion. But um, I, I just think, if, if what we're hearing is true and he does go ahead and commit to Ohio State, that, that the Buckeyes sort of blew him away and having that last official visit was very beneficial to the Buckeyes and, and, and may have been given them the opportunity to sort of close out his recruitment. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Who would you say is the biggest difference maker among the 2023 commits? Well, I have an interesting answer here. Um, I'm going to go with Braylon James. Um, I think that maybe just thinking about wide receiver rec- recruiting at Notre Dame and I guess the, the lack of success, uh, especially looking to last year's class when they only brought in one. Um, and I, I think that the, the lack of recruiting that position is really show, showing itself heading into uh, camp season this August, uh, the amount of depth at that position. And although Notre Dame, um, just landed Rico Flores. Uh, I guess uh, there's a lot of optimism with Jaden Greathouse and potentially uh, Ronan Canafin down the road, but the about those guys ending up in the class. But I think that uh, getting Braylon James was just like such a breath of fresh air uh, for for Notre Dame to be able to get a our wide receiver that type of potential from the state of Texas, where there's uh, outstanding competition. Uh, I mean, I arguably the top high school football state in the entire country. And although his stats like aren't, aren't that fantastic, he's only averaged 
uh, a little bit over 10 yards per catch um, in his high school career. I think that that was just such a, a big, important recruiting win for Chancey Suckey coming to Notre Dame. And I think that that's a guy that if we're just looking at who's committed in the class right now and that potential commits, I really like Braylon James's chances to, to come in and make an impact early and Notre Dame with the type of opportunity available. Yeah, to, to me, the biggest difference maker is Keon Keeley. He's just, I mean, the, the rankings uh, have that one right, in my opinion. He, he's a freak. Pass rush um, is has become the name of the game um, with, with so much passing being a part of college football. So to get a player like him was, was big at the moment. It remains equally as big for Notre Dame and keeping him in the class has been a, a major priority for Notre Dame. Um, so in my opinion, I think he's the biggest difference maker. And we saw sort of the difference he can make in a nationally televised game against Arch Manning, the number one quarterback in the country and um, sacking him and even intercepting a pass and, and, and sort of making his night a bit difficult. So that's, that's the kind of player that Notre Dame is getting a key on Keeley. Next question is from at Irish fan 102. How many rivals recruiting points does Notre Dame finish this 2023 recruiting cycle with? Now I know this is a bit sort of hard. I mean, there's going to be a couple more recruiting rankings updates as we move towards the end of the, the recruiting cycle. Um, but I, I think uh, we can sort of give some, some broad guesses of, of how many points that Notre Dame could end up with. And I'll, I'll just start by saying that Notre Dame is currently – at 2538, 2538 points with its 19 commits. So, uh, about a month ago, I, I did a story on this uh, about the potential of Notre Dame to, to land the number one recruiting class. And I think a lot of that really depended on Dante Moore's commitment and Samuel and Pemba as well, just from a, a pure mathematical aspect about the way the, the rivals team rankings are, are calculated. Basically, there's a certain amount assigned to the the rating of the players. So, for example, Keon Keeley is rated as a, a 6.1, and that um, equals 150 points. But then also there's a bonus for the player rank, um, and Keon is number 18. So that gives Notre Dame an extra 62 points in the player rank and the team ranking. So that's kind of how it's equated. Um, also it's only the top 20 players in the class. So, uh, you know, by the end of a class, if, you know, Joe Odding, for example, remains a three-star, remains like the 23 or 24th player, uh, ranked player in Notre Dame's class, he won't count towards uh, the ratings. And uh, in doing my, my research a month ago, I found that uh, since 2006, uh, the – average amount of points uh, for a team that's taken home the number one crown was almost 3,100 points. And I think at that, at this rate, that's probably going to be the ceiling for Notre Dame. Uh, I, I kind of like them uh, around like the 2,900 area, depending on uh, the types of players they can land uh, in the uh, 23 class. I think like some important players from a, a mathematical aspect are Jeremiah Love being that he's a, a top 50 guy, uh, Jaden Greathouse being a top 70 guy, and then a guy like Jaden Osbury, who Notre Dame is uh, recruiting as well, 
just from a, a mathematical aspect, the, the amount of points that they could bring to the table total around 150. So uh, I, I guess in summary, I, I think Notre Dame's ceiling is probably like a 3,100, whereas the floor is probably like a, a 27 or 28. Yeah. I, I My rough math put, put Notre Dame a little bit over 2,800 points in terms of what I think could end up happening. Um, and to put that into per, some more perspective, I mean, you did a good job of sort of explaining what the number one class gets um, in terms of what Notre Dame's sort of high marks were, um, the 2013 class, which finished third overall, had 2,893 points. Um, and the 2008 class, which finished second overall, had 2,744 points. So has a chance to, Notre Dame has a chance to um, outscore those classes um, from the, that, that finished high in the Rivals era. Um, in the 2022 cycle, we're using 2,800 as sort of the potential bar for Notre Dame to, to meet. Only four classes hit that in the 2022 cycle. So if Notre Dame gets there, there's a pretty good chance that Notre Dame could end up with a top five class, um, which they ended up being sixth in, in last year's recruiting cycle or, or the, the last recruiting cycle. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that means it's, – it's hard for that to – I, I'm not sure what it sounds like to listen to that. I think it, it's something, at least when I do math, it, it needs to be visual and put in front of me. So I don't know if this makes a lot of sense, us talking about these numbers out loud, but hopefully that answers IrishFan102's question and uh, makes some sense to some others as well. Next question from the Insider Lounge is from LDL Go Irish. Um, and he identifies as Len from Jersey Shore. Uh, and it's quite a few questions here. Please tell us everything you have heard about conference realignment and how Notre Dame can slash will slash must fit in. Does Notre Dame need to join a conference? Can they make the ACC PAC 12 merge a viable reality Which schools might leave the PAC 12, big 12 or ACC. Can you trust any school to stay in a current or future arrangement such as ND ACC PAC 12 merge? Um, <laughs> I certainly do not have all the answers to those questions. Um, I mean, there's new rumors and reports that surface seemingly by the hour. Um, I know one of the bigger ones on Thursday was a report from, I believe, the editor-in-chief of Swim Swam News, which is a, a swimming outlet. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, not to say that that's not a credible reporter, but that would be a, an interesting source to, to break news about something that's pretty tied up in football rather than, than swimming. Uh, but uh, you never really know where where this news is going to come from or how accurate some of these reports will be. I'm sure there's all kinds of discussions going on. I'm sure the people involved in these decisions don't know how this is all going to play out quite yet. So um, I, there was a funny line that Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated tweeted uh, about conference realignment discussions, and he said, consider everything, believe nothing. <laughs> and so that's sort of how I, I've been proceeding. Uh, I think, and there are a lot of people, I mean, to get on my uh, soapbox, uh, there's, there's a lot of people in the uh, media industry that are just interested in aggregating every rumor uh, or report just to have people click on some of the information, whether or not they have any idea if it's true or not. Um, so I'm not a big fan of that part of this process. Um, so uh, a, a big, at least, so here's sort of my perspective on, on it on as much of it as I sort of have a perspective on. I think a big part of what Notre Dame will decide to do will be based on its read on how everything else will unfold. 
Um, if the SEC and Big Ten plan to expand well beyond 20 schools, uh, can Notre Dame survive outside of those two conferences? Um, will there still be a reasonable path to the playoff? Um, if the ACC isn't viable um, for Notre Dame's non-football sports, what are its other options? Can Notre Dame afford to turn down all the money that could be available through their conference TV deal? Um, or on the flip side of that, is is there someone willing to throw cash at Notre Dame too once its current NBC deal expires after the 2025 season, whether that's NBC, whether that's someone else? Um, I know these streaming services really want to get into college football. I mean, can you imagine if they decided to throw all kinds of money at Notre Dame? Now, it would be kind of weird for Notre Dame to be the, the team that's all the home games are on basic cable NBC, although one one per year tends to not be on NBC um, and on a different NBC Universal uh, platform. Um, but if it went from that to, uh, to Amazon or Apple, <laughs> uh, that would be quite the culture shock for Notre Dame's fan base, uh, as we saw with the Peacock experiment last season against Toledo. Um, so I, I just think Notre Dame has to have a good read on all of those things to make its most informed decision. And so that's why I'm not exactly certain that they're, they're going, Notre Dame is going to rush to make that decision. Um, so it's going to have to take, it's going to take some time to figure out all of those variables that, that are coming into play here. Um, what do I think is the most likely? Um, I think those, those two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC continue to expand. The ACC becomes so depleted that it's, it's not something that Notre Dame can really cling on to for all its other sports, um, and that Notre Dame ends up in the Big Ten. Um, there are plenty of other scenarios that could play out. That's just the one that seems the most logical and likely to me at this point. Um, and I, I should add, like, this could be, like, years from now. Like, this could be a pretty slow-moving process. I don't think, like – it's like, okay, UCLA and UCA, USC and UCLA made that move to the Big Ten. Now everything's going to happen. Uh, it's not like quarterback recruiting where one quarterback commits and then all the other ones start to to uh, pick up their spot. So I think Notre Dame has a lot of leverage here um, and will use it to sort of explore all the options that it has. All right, next question is from at Kyle Quinlan 3. In your opinion, does the U.S. – does the USC move make Notre Dame more likely to join the Big Ten, or does it have no effect? What are your thoughts, Kyle? You know, I'm actually going to say it, it. Just looking at the outcome of all this, I, I think dating back to last year when Oklahoma and Texas left the Big Twelve for the SEC, I think kind of maybe um, raised an eyebrow from Notre Dame's aspect uh, about the potential ramifications of joining a conference. And I think that um, there may be a world where Notre Dame eventually has no option, but to join, join a conference. So I think that in my opinion, um, I think that I I don't know by how much, but I think that USC joining um, the big 10 may have a a slight uh, advantage in Notre Dame just to be able to, uh, keep that rivalry going. I mean, obviously you can play uh, non-conference games, but I don't know how many times or if ever before we've seen a, a non-conference series, uh, you know, span, you know, years over years. Usually it's just like a home-and-home home, uh, sort of thing. And with Notre Dame being independent, that's obviously given them the advantage to keep that series with USC going, uh, being that, you know, Notre Dame's independent, USC's well now in the Big Ten. 
So I think that from that aspect, that's a little bit more makes Notre Dame slightly more likely to join the Big Ten opposed to another conference. I think the the other thing working at play here is Notre Dame's interest to, to play a national schedule. Uh, you know, not maybe not just football, but maybe the 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 opportunity to remain as a, a national brand and being in the Big Ten uh, currently gives Notre Dame the best opportunity to to maintain that. Whereas you know the SEC has expanded, but all those schools are still in the South. And now the Big Ten stands for or spans from New York and uh, New York City and Washington, D.C., all the way out to Los Angeles. So that, that's my reasoning behind why, why I'll say I think it, it does uh, give Notre Dame a, a slightly uh, likely more chance to join the, the Big Ten. And I, I will say with the caveat compared to uh, any other conference. Yeah, I, th- I think it makes it more palatable. That's sort of been the word that I, I've been using. And I think it makes it easier, too, when you're, if you're looking at, okay, how does Notre Dame – what does a future Notre Dame schedule look like if it's joining a conference? Um, if it's not the Big Ten, it, I would think that USC would be one of those rivalries that it would still work to keep in, in place. And USC has, a, has acknowledged that whether or not Notre Dame joins the Big Ten or not, it, it intends to continue that rivalry. Um, so I, I think that's important to both of those schools. But if if they, if they can make that an annual rivalry that's in the conference, um, that gives Notre Dame some more flexibility to be able to add some of the non-conference games that it likes to add. Now, I don't know. I think Notre Dame's non-conference – or, I mean, some of the big games that Notre Dame looks to add to its schedule could be different based on being in the Big Ten and what that, what that annual schedule would look like um, if you know you're going to have some built-in – bigger games against conference opponents. Um, so maybe it's not go- look going out and scheduling home and homes against um, SEC teams um, or, I mean, you could say Pac-12 teams, but who, who knows what the Pac-12 is uh, by the time any of that would come into play. So I do think it, it, makes, it, makes, it'll, it makes things a little bit easier. And the national recruiting aspect of it, I think is important too, that Notre Dame wants to be able to play in California on a regular basis. Um, to continue to recruit the West Coast and um, still maintain its national recruiting reach. Next question is from RRH1 on the Insider Lounge. Do you think Notre Dame will play some Thursday and Friday games if they join the Big Ten? Well, Ron, I will tell you right now that I wouldn't have spent this much time researching this question if I did not see you at Cam Williams's uh, commitment <laughs> announcement uh, last Wednesday because I spent way more time than what I probably should have answering a question that's completely hypothetical and probably holds no no bearings right now. But uh, so the Thursday and Friday games in the Big Ten uh, basically began in 2017. Prior to that, the usually the only Friday game or non-Saturday games that the Big Ten played uh, were uh, the Fridays after Thanksgiving. So since then, uh, there's been uh, 18 Friday games and three Thursday games uh, played in the Big Ten where Big Ten opponents have played each other. Now, Big Ten opponents – have played non-conference opponents um, on Thursday and Fridays, but it's only been 
a slight, slight margin. So I just conducted my research uh, to stay in the Big Ten. So uh, of the uh, 21 uh, non-Saturday games, uh, every team in the Big Ten has played at least once besides Michigan. Uh, some teams, such as Iowa and Nebraska, has played uh, seven times each. Ohio State, for example, has played three. And whereas uh, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin have uh, all played once. Now, I'm not quite sure why Michigan has never played on a uh, Thursday or a Friday, but looking at the, the types of brands and the programs, and uh, Notre Dame and Michigan are, they're both really historical programs. Um, I I guess to my knowledge, I don't ever recall Notre Dame playing on a, a Friday or a Thursday. I mean, they played on Monday before, right, for, for Labor Day, but, you know, pretty much ever. Yeah, there, there's been a couple Sunday games, too. I, I think in years – I mean, long ago, there have been maybe a Thursday or Friday game. I think there was one game – I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was somewhere that their sellout – it was like right when the sellout streak – had began right after that. I think it was like an Air Force game around Thanksgiving for some reason. I can't tell you the year. Um, I'm not a walking encyclopedia, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, that I, I think so. I, I'm sure there have been in the past, but nothing, nothing as of late. And that would certainly be uh, a change for Notre Dame to were asked to do that. But I don't know what sort of poll Notre Dame would have if it were to join it. I mean, we're, we're jumping a few steps ahead here and, and sort of looking at this, I would imagine <laughs> they'd be like, give us the Michigan deal. If you're not making Michigan play on Thursday and Friday, well, that's what we want to do too. Um, but uh, I don't know what's how that would sort of play out. Next question we have is from Cheryl R. Bunch of numbers. What conference should Notre Dame, Notre Dame join, if any? I, I, I've sort of touched on this. I'm not, I'm not sure if you have quite – as expressly, but what, what are your thoughts? If, if, if Notre Dame is to just join a conference, what, which one do you think they should join? I pretty much think it, it's a no brainer and it's the, the, the big 10. I, I mean, I don't know how much validity there is to, or credibility there is to some of the reports um, about some of the ACC schools venturing out, but uh, just looking at the dynamics of things, I, I think you're going to see a scenario where uh, Miami of Florida, um, Clemson and Florida State, those types of programs are probably going to find their way into the SEC somehow. That's just pure speculation, but just looking at the dynamics of all this. And, you know, as soon as one of those or a couple of those teams leave the ACC, I really think that it's going to fall apart. And, you know, obviously the Big 12 would make absolutely no sense. Um, or I, I met the Pac-12, but also the Big 12 doesn't make any sense either. So I think just uh, looking at what the Big Ten has to offer um, at this point with the types of teams, uh, Michigan, who's a arch rival, USC is an arch rival, uh, still the opportunity to, to play a national schedule from coast to coast and all the opportunities that the Big Ten has right now. I, I, I don't see Notre Dame joining the SEC. That just really would not make much sense to me. So I think that um, if Notre Dame were to join a conference, I, I think it would, the Big Ten by far makes the most sense. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame fans are used to sort of being the outlier in terms of its independence, but I don't think you want to be the outlier in the SEC of being like the, the one Northern school, if that were to be sort of how that broke broke out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that that would, that would be a great 
fit for Notre Dame, and I think would would sort of test its ability to 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 be a national school. I think I think it seems right now that the Big Ten offers that best opportunity to try to maintain as much of your national identity as possible. I mean, there might be threats to that regardless of what conference you go to. But um, and even I mean, even if you don't join a conference, well, who's to say that? You, you're able to sort of maintain that sort of national identity if you if you're stuck out of the the major conferences that everyone are paying attention that everyone's paying attention to. So, Big Ten seems to be, like I said earlier, the most logical choice if if, if that's how it how uh, if Notre Dame wants to if everything sort of plays out the way it starts to seems to be playing out right now. Uh, next question is from at Mikey Gal. Why do you think NIL contracts stay hidden? Purely, purely from players' perspective, doesn't it make sense to show everyone else what you and consequently other players are worth? Why hide your salary at work? Let's assume there are no NDAs. I, I will say the one thing, um, you know, NIL is obviously so new. I, I, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of it not too long ago. Um, but the, the one thing with NIL is that players are required to report the deals to the school's compliance offices. So the schools do have an idea of uh, the type of NIL deals that these players are getting, or they're supposed to have an idea. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure if that's uh, the players are following the rules. I, I can imagine they are. But um, the other thing with the NIL is I think it also would potentially give a competitive advantage to other schools where if some players are reporting that, Oh, they got this amount from one team compared to another. And um, I think that's part, partly why they're not becoming public. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. I mean, not all NIL deals are necessarily legal um, probably. Uh, so the, having those contracts revealed um, put, puts puts a wrinkle in there. Um, and if they're publicized, they're open to be criticized um, and analyzed. So um, especially when we're talking about the collectives that are, that are working uh, through, throughout the country. Um, and and if, if everyone knows for sure what you're worth, I think it, it limits your potential to make more. It could, it could limit your potential to make more. Um, I mean, in a lot, a lot of fields, most people don't don't make their salary public either. Um, I, I, I mean, I could see that coming if if some some time down the road there's some sort of collective bargaining agreement among players and schools, and um, a lot of time it, it, it's it's good to sort of see what the standards are and and to make some sort of equality um, or bring some equity uh, to the process. Um, but but I, I think it's going to be a lot of rumors and, and innuendo uh, <laughs> related to NIL. And I, I sort of sort of what uh, uh, related to the, the, the conference realignment rumors that we talk about, consider everything and believe nothing. I don't, I don't believe a lot of the NIL reporting that I, that I see and a lot of it seems a little bit suspect. And um, because when it does come out, it just seems like they're trying to make themselves look good and what, whether or not that's what the terms actually are, or what it end, will end up being. Um, uh, who, I mean, how many people are following up on that? Do we know whether or not what is being promised is actually what is being paid? Um, and so there's a lot of layers to that. 
And then from like the business perspective, like Kyle was saying, I think um, if you pay one athlete a higher price and the other athletes find out about it, they're going to demand that level of payment too. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's going to remain pretty secretive um, unless there's some sort of uh, policy or, or structure put in place to, to, to sort of open that up and make it, make it, be, ha make there be a requirement to be publicly uh, available for folks. Next question is from at Buster Biven. Now that graduation and the transfer portal has destroyed the Notre Dame baseball program, who do you think the university will hire as the next manager? Um, I, I, I understand what Buster Biven is, is where he's coming from. Um, but I, I would caution at first that as it relates to the transfer portal, these players, I think would be pretty silly not to leave their options open. Um, the, the, the transfer portal deadline has already passed. Um, and so uh, kids had to put their name into the transfer portal um, to have the opportunity to play elsewhere immediately um, while their future coach remains unknown. They don't know who their coach is going to be at Notre Dame yet. Um, they can remove themselves from the portal if they like the hire. Um, and uh, there have been some people who have, who have entered, and, and credit to Irish Sports Daily's Matt Freeman for reporting some of these names. That, that, that includes pitchers Jack Finley, Alex Real, and Roman Kimball. Um, as for the next coach, I don't have a great sense of how it's going to shake out. I know D1 Baseball recently reported four candidates um, as, as the potential uh, choice for Notre Dame. That's Notre Dame pitching coach Chuck Rostano, Brewers bench coach Pat Murphy, who was previously an ND coach, uh, Walford head coach Todd Interdonato, and VCU head coach Sean Stiffer. Um, Murphy would be pretty surprising to me. Um, I'd be lying if I told you I knew a lot about the other coaches out of, outside of Rostano. Um, I, I do remember back when I worked for the Tribune when Jarrett, uh, uh, Link Jarrett was hired, uh, that, that I, uh, I did that, th did this, the story after the news broke and did some research on it. I was like, oh, this guy seems like he's got his stuff together. Um, so I mean, we'll find out. And I mean, we'll, I mean, I'm sure whatever we think immediately doesn't necessarily have much of an indication of, of how, how successful that person will be. So. But I do think we'll get an answer here the next week or two and Notre Dame can sort of address um, the concerns of the players who are in the portal and leaving their options open to go somewhere else. Next question is from at PLACT underscore ITFDB. As of today, your opinion can change. What does Notre Dame have to do to avoid a blowout in their opener in Columbus? Well, um, I think during the Brian Kelly era, Notre Dame did not do outstanding in big games. They won all the games they were supposed to, uh, became dominant at home, uh, even won a, a big game in a sense uh, against Clemson at home. You know, they played Georgia close at home. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily think that under uh, – or against Ohio state that this has a potential to be a blowout. I guess maybe I I'm naive because last I checked Ohio state was a two touchdown favorite. Depends what you define a, a blowout, but I, I see like a blowout being, I don't know, three touchdowns or more, but uh, I think for Notre Dame to ensure that they don't walk out of Columbus uh, being blown out. I think that uh, Tyler Buckner playing four quarters for me is one, one factor and, that, that can possibly even work at a, a negative for Notre Dame, being that's going to be his, his like, biggest stage in his collegiate career so far. Uh, but, 
you know, Tyler Buckner is, hasn't been the epitome of health, I guess, in his athletic career. Um, you know, he's definitely shown he can, he can hold up, but, you know, he's also shown that, you know, maybe a little injury prone uh, at some sense. So I think him making it through all four quarters and showing that he can, uh, you know, compete at the highest level will be really important. Um, just also because the type of dynamic he brings to the offense as a runner. And I think that in, in order to keep that game really close and competitive, Notre Dame's going to have to eat a lot of clock. They're going to have to run the football. And I think with, um, you know, even down a couple guys, uh, Logan Diggs and uh, Jadarian Price, I mean, I guess there's no telling exactly who's going to be able to suit up. Um, uh, week one, I, I mean, J.D. Price is out for the year. But I, I think that's going to be really important for Notre Dame to be able to run the ball. And I think that's going to require Tyler Buckner playing uh, basically the entirety of the, the game uh, just because of the advantage he brings with his feet. Um, I also, I, I did want to add, I think that the secondary is going to be a, a majorly important factor. This is the exact game that you would kill to have Kyle Hamilton uh, with the types of receivers that Ohio State has. I mean, they had two first-round picks, and they're probably not going to miss a beat. Uh, so I, I think the secondary is going to have to be on their A-plus-plus game uh, to avoid being blown out in Columbus week one. Yeah, I, I sort of boiled it down to two two main things. I think one is pressuring, pressuring C.J. Stroud. Um, Notre Dame will, will have to do that in order to try to slow down that offensive attack. Um, and then the second thing is protect the football. And Notre Dame can't afford to give Ohio State extra possessions. Um, I think that has to be a concern with an inexper inexperienced quarterback potentially as your starter. Um, and uh, I think those are the things. If, they, if Notre Dame doesn't do that, the game could, if Notre Dame turns the ball over and doesn't pressure C.J. Stroud, um, I think things could get out of hand for Notre Dame if, if, the, if, if that's not the way the, the, the game plays out. All right, last question from Chino at D underscore radio guy. What would bring more joy to Notre Dame fans next year? Michigan having a down year or LSU having a down year? Well, um, one of my uh, best friends is a uh, Notre Dame fan, so I posed this question to him, and he said uh, LSU having a, a down year. So – I am, I'm going to take that as my answer. And I, I imagine most Notre Dame fans would be in agreement. Yeah. I, I think the answer would be both. <laughs> That's what they, <laughs> they would prefer. Uh, I know Notre Dame fans are enjoying beating Michigan on the recruiting trail repeatedly uh, in the last several months. Um, I think just about every Notre Dame fan dislikes Michigan. I don't know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of Notre Dame fans that are like, oh, yeah, Michigan, they're fine. I don't have a problem with them. But I, although I know I know there are plenty of vocal fans that dislike Brian Kelly. Um, I mean, some people disliked him while he was at Notre Dame, um, but many more dislike him for how he left Notre Dame and some of the comments that have happened since then. Um, but there still might be a, a small portion of Notre Dame fans that that appreciate what Brian Kelly did for Notre Dame. <laughs> So I was leaning towards Michigan, but I, I mean, I, I think, I don't know that there's a wrong answer towards this. Um, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Notre Dame fans don't want to see either have success. Um, and I mean, I, I think 
I think it's going to be harder for Brian Kelly to have success right away. Uh, Michigan's coming off a good season. I, certainly the recruiting isn't reflecting that, um, but Notre Dame, or Michigan had success on the field last year. So to have a bad season would to, would sort of be a turn from the, the momentum that program seemingly had by making it to the California playoff. Um, so I, I think Notre Dame fans would get quite the kick out of seeing Michigan come back to earth. Um, so, so that's, that's why I went with that, that answer. Whereas, um, I, but, but I, like I said, I, I, I don't know that there's a wrong answer there. Um, I'd be curious what people think if they, they feel strongly one way or the other tweet at us um, and let us know which, if you could only pick one and Michigan having it down here, LSU having it down here, which one would you choose? All right. That's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, other podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a friend. Also, if you have any guest requests or suggestions, please let us know. Um, we're always looking for good ideas for guests, whether it's the offseason or as we head into the season. Um, you can send them to us on Twitter or on our message board. Um, and uh, Hopefully we can get some new voices on. We hope to record another podcast in a couple of weeks. It will likely be Kyle and I again, as both Eric and I fit some vacation in before camp starts in August and we get, get rolling once again with the, with the weekly podcast. But until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>